welcome to the Bishop Strickland Hour. Terry Barber, it looks like Bishop Strickland's got a, a new beard coming there. Bishop Strickland, thank you for uh, starting the new year out here on your show. And um, I know that many people have been praying for you. And um, thank you so much for proclaiming Jesus Christ and him crucified. Thanks, Terry. Yeah. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. We're still in the Christmas season. I'm not taking my tree down. I'm not taking my decorations down. My manger set. The manger said I have my parents in 1947, and we've been putting it up ever since. And please, God, my next generation will do that. But Bishop Strickland, today I would like to ask you to talk a little bit about your letter that you sent out to priests. And we all want to discuss that. But before we get to that letter, I had a couple tweets that I thought were apropos for the time we're living in. And to set the stage I'm a layman. You're a, a retired bishop now, but you know you're a successor of the apostle. You have a huge um, responsibility to teach, govern, and sanctify and the faith, and I do too. So because I have a microphone for in my in front of me, and I've published about 30 million recordings in the last what what 42 years uh, for Catholic teachings, and boy, I hope all of them uh, will please our Lord that have been distributed. I, I did my best, but. The point I'm making is we're living in some confusing times and bishops all around the world from Asia to South America uh, to um, Europe. And they're really concerned about this letter uh, that came out just a week before Christmas from the Holy Office uh, regarding the so-called blessing of same-sex couples and also this irregular unions. And I, that name, irregular, I, I'd rather be biblical terms, you know, like fornication or adultery. That's just, I, it's much clearer for a, a guy that has not much of an education. I, I, my education is more in biblical things rather than softy, soft peddling stuff. So here's my, my comment. Uh, we're living in times where we see now pictures of, of uh, priests blessing uh, same-sex uh, unions uh, in, in church with a rainbow stole. We're seeing, you know, I mean, little kids are potentially going to be seeing this. It's scandalous from what I can see. And it seems that right after that document came out on the 18th of December, you, you made a clear statement saying, just say no. You know, and many bishops are saying no. But now the the uh, Cardinal Fernandez, who's the prefect for the Doctrine of Faith, they call it a catastrophe now, but for the for he's he's saying that uh that 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 uh here's, here's what he says bishops banned from total or definitive denial of fiduci supplicans so in other words he's saying you can't deny this this is, has to be implemented and so i'm ordering you and i like what your tweet said and i just want you to give a little comment on it because you said this instead his eminence should be banned from con- Fusing this issue even more. Please, your eminence, rewind the clock to 2021 and simply clarify, we cannot bless sin. That was the document that that they came out at the same office two years ago. Then you said no further confusing statements will be necessary. Can you add to that? I mean, that seems really clear. Well, really, Terry, I think we need to, everyone who knows the truth, bishops, priests, even laity like yourself. If you have uh, an audience that needs to hear the truth, we need to speak up. And thankfully, many bishops are. 
basically the continent of Africa has said no. Yeah. And I haven't heard, I mean, this latest came out, I guess, just uh, yesterday or very recently, this further confusion, basically, right. so-called further clarification. Yeah. It just gets, because really, Terry, as I said, um, you know, I like pretzels fine, <laughs> but theological pretzels, and you have to turn, you have to twist yourself into a pretzel yeah. to try to make this right, right, to make it reasonable, to make it anything that even uh, a basically catechized person is going to know. And in using words like irregular, these people are in sinful situations. Yes. Call it for what Let it is. Be clear. Yes. I'm a sinner. I go to confession often. I need to. But they do too. Yep. And no blessing will penetrate their heart until their heart is contrite of their sin. Amen. It is ridiculous what is coming out of the Vatican. It's ridiculous. And I think we need to be very clear, like some of the African bishops, I watched some of their video, and it really, Terry, I'm proud to say it sounded like what I say. Of course they it They said better than I do. Yeah. But it's down to earth. Yep. It's clear speech. It's not all this gobbledygook that we're hearing, and we need to rise up and say, as I said right out of the gate. That's right. We need to say it more clearly and more distinctly. No. And frankly, Cardinal Fernandez, you are not going to me tell me as a bishop that I must follow your dictate to bless sin. No, I don't. I don't have to do that. I'm not going to do that. And I'm sure that these African bishops that spoke up so clearly, they're not going to do it either. One of the bishops said that these people are coming as a couple. They're, they go back home as a couple. Yep. They're sleeping in the same bed as a couple. That's right. They're doing other things probably in that same bed as a couple. To pretend anything else is just a mind game mm -hmm. that isn't even respectful of of the human person or of, of just common sense. Yeah. And one of the, the priests that I talked to recently said, because uh, one of the bishops talked about common law, and that seems to have fallen out of the vocabulary of the church, but it's still the truth. And the, the, the law of God is what is common to humanity. And we've got to be very clear um, and frankly, you know, people talk, I haven't heard so much recently because what's coming out of the Vatican is schismatic. Mm -hmm. And I'll say it, they're the ones creating this schism because faithful bishops are obligated to say no. Amen. One of the bishops pointed out with, with a lot of sadness, you could tell that he was genuinely sad to be saying Here's something that's been signed off on by the Pope, by the Holy Father, and bishops are obligated to reject it and say no. That's a sad place to be. It is sad, but we can't let 
the sadness keep us quiet. And we have to, for the, the sake of the church, yes. in honor to Christ, and in honor to those two people, as you mentioned, there have been a few internet pictures already yeah. of individuals coming forward. Oh, they've been married for 22 years or whatever, civilly married. Notice in that picture, yeah. this document says, oh, we're not talking about marriage. But these people are claiming to be civilly married for 22 years or for whatever length of time. And they're coming forward very happy to get a blessing. I'm obligated for the sake of those two children of God, Amen. male or female, they're children of God. God loves them. And I'm obligated as a pastor to say, stop the sin you're living. As, as I'm obligated to say with any sin that someone comes forward with, as, as someone mentioned, it's the same thing that I thought, but I saw one thing posted saying, well, when are the uh, the embezzlers coming? And when are the, the chronic liars coming? Exactly. When are the the child abusers coming? I mean, if, if we're just going to bless those who are in habitual sin, that's what we're talking about. Yes. There's no call to repentance. There's nothing about change your life. It's basically ignore the gospel and ask for a blessing. And that's meaningless. It it really, as you can tell, it gets me riled up. Good. We we need to simply resoundingly say, Vatican prelate, no. And Holy Father, you need to rethink signing off on this. Yes. Please. Because it's it's contrary yeah. to his responsibility as the successor of Peter. That's just flat out the truth. And if it gets me in more trouble, so be it. I, I'd i rather be in trouble with the powers of this world yes. than with the power of God. And that's one of the reasons why I like working with you in the vineyard of the Lord, Bishop Strickland, because you will speak the truth. You see, Father Bill Casey used to, used to say, the most merciless thing we can do is let someone wallow in their sin. See, you're willing to love them. And what is the definition of love by St. Thomas Aquinas? To will the good of the other. <clears throat> See, you're not loving them by blessing them in sin. Okay? That's what I got out of it. Now, you quoted a bishop. I took Bishop Martin Tubunga <clears throat> from Africa, and I took his clip and put it on our YouTube channel, Full Sheen Ahead. I think it's now almost 350,000 views and growing. Why? Because it's inspiring to see this bishop speak so simply, but straightforward. And you can see he's in pain to have to say this. Hey, you think I like talking about this issue? I don't. You know why? I'd rather talk more about how to introduce people to the person of Jesus Christ. But you know what? We have this issue that's affecting many souls. Can you imagine souls going before God? And, and they say, well, nobody told me that. I don't want, I'm not want to be that nobody. Stay with us, family. We'll be back with more here on the Bishop Strickland Hour on Virgin Most Powerful. And now back to the Bishop Strickland Hour. Welcome back to the Bishop Strickland Hour. Man, I need more iced tea after that segment. Bishop Strickland, if I could describe you and your message as being the gospel message, I want to read this, and this just said what you just said 
is what basically is the gospel. Okay, in a world full of chaos and disorder, it's reassuring to know that God has a plan to deal with sin and evil. Jesus came to announce that this divine plan is now in effect, and it's time to repent, time to believe. The first disciples heed the call, dropped their nets, and followed him. We are all called to do the same. Why I say that, you remember that statement you've made for years with me, that we have to become first century Christians? That's what I just read. In other words, the first century Christians lived the gospel of repent and believe in the gospel. This is what I get excited about because I think the world is definitely in need of that. So thank you for that last segment. I'd like to shift gears if I could. I've got a little uh, letter here from you that you sent on on January 4th, a letter to priests. And um, I think this is really incredibly important. I'll tell you why. Let me just set the stage. The spirituality of the priest sets the stage for the spirituality of the lay people. And I'm just going to tell a quick story and then turn it over to you. When I was in my teens, I've been going to daily Mass since I was 13, thanks be to God. I served Mass at 6.30 in the morning. There was a priest, Father Chris Tuig, Irish priest, old school guy, beautiful. He said Mass like every Mass was his last Mass. I mean, he was very reverent. The elevation of the host, I mean, everything. Well, he mentored me as a young man. And I noticed that I would get there early to set up for the Mass, and he'd be, there, he'd be in the pew kneeling down, praying before Mass. And no other priest that I had met had ever come early to pray before Mass. And so he did that. He made his holy hour, and then he would always, after Mass, make a thanksgiving. And so what did I do? I emulated him. I copied him. Why? I'm a young man. I'm looking for holiness. I see it in front of me. So guess what? I've been trying to make a daily holy hour since I was a youngster every day of my life. Okay? Sometimes I fail. But most of the time, like this morning, with my wife, we made a holy hour together before Mass. Why? I'm going to say it's because a holy priest, along with Bishop Sheen, talking about the daily holy hour, convinced me that time before our Eucharistic Lord was like a taste of heaven. So I, I introduced that because it seems to me that we need to get back to that model of holiness. So I want to uh, ask you to read your letter and tell us why you did it first and then uh, share what's in the letter with us, please. Well, really, Terry, um, as I mm-hmm. have read things that are really devastating mm-hmm. about the, the the situation of the church, yeah. uh, the corruption, financial, yeah. moral, every level of corruption. Yeah. I read uh, a recent document that was, it just left me, wondering what in the world can we do? Um, and what I realized was we have to grow more holy. Amen. Our priests have to be holier. Our priests have to be more committed to living the life that, that a priest life is. Um, so, that's what this document is about, is trying to encourage priests to live who we are. Right. To, to be about the, the faith and to live that faith as fully as we can. Um, 
there are many things that priests get involved in, but the most important thing we can do is be men of the Eucharist. Yes. As, as what was in my heart as I wrote this letter was the blessing that I've had as one who has grown more and more to appreciate yeah. being Eucharistic, knowing that the Lord is truly present, body and blood, soul and divinity. And I would really urge that the formation of priests and that really the focus has to be for this crisis that we're in in the church, for priests to be holier, just like you said with that priest oh, that yeah. impressed you, yeah. um, the, the stronger the priest can be. To me, that's the answer to everything. That's the answer to the lack of catechesis. That's the answer to the, the confusion, the moral corruption, the financial corruption. All the problems come down to parish priest and religious order priest, every priest becoming holier, becoming more connected, not just saying Mass daily, which is, is significant, needs to happen, but living Eucharistically, as I put it um, in another conversation, what I hope to encourage from this letter is that priests will make celebrating Mass <clears throat> the very beginning of everything they do. And then baptizing a child, hearing confessions, visiting in the nursing home or in the hospital, visiting a prison, counseling a couple, everything flows out of celebrating mass, celebrating the Eucharist, and everything flows back to that. Um, even, you know, I know that, I mean, I was a priest for many years in a parish, I know there are administrative duties that have to be taken care of. But if you're living as a Eucharistic priest, even those administrative duties, for one thing, they don't overwhelm your life so that, well, you're always in the office getting business done, but you forget to pray. If you're truly close to the Lord, you're, you're guaranteed to stay close to him whatever you're doing, and to, as um, I was listening to the, the program that your wife had just before <laughs> we started recording, pray constantly. Yeah. That seems impossible, but that is what we're called to do as disciples, all the baptized. We're called to pray constantly, and it becomes more attainable the closer we are to the Lord, to know that his sacred heart is a real presence that's with us always, especially and beautifully in the Mass and in Eucharistic adoration, but we can carry him with us. His love and his sacred heart doesn't leave us even when we leave the altar. He's still with us. He dwells in us. That's one reason I believe that the Lord chose the way that he was going to remain with us is that he would become our food, that he would actually feed us. It doesn't get more intimate than that, the sharing of a life to actually be consumed, consuming the Lord. And for priests, uh, there can't be too much emphasis on the Eucharist. And yes, we have work to do. We have 
missions to accomplish, but it's always got to start from and return to the Eucharist, the Mass, and the real presence of the Lord. Why do we have so many Catholics who are not sure about or seem to be sure that, oh, the Eucharist is just a symbol? That's because priests aren't telegraphing that Jesus is there and he is the very epicenter of their life. The more people see that Jesus present in our lives, I mean, to stand at the altar, what a humbling gift that is. We should be overjoyed that we have that opportunity daily to stand at an altar and in the words of Christ, in our hands, literally holding bread that becomes his body, holding a chalice of wine that becomes his blood. And the, that's the motivation for writing these letters is to encourage priests to go back to the heart of priesthood. And the heart of priesthood is the sacred heart of Christ, living and present in his church. Wow. All I can say is, wow, Bishop Strickland, I, I was involved, I founded Lighthouse Catholic Media in about 9,000 parishes around the country, and I used to do the CD of the Month Club promotion at Masses. Sometimes I would go to 10 Masses in a weekend uh, because I would make an announcement at the end of Mass about the presentation I would give about uh, the CD of the Month Club. And what I noticed is, you know, being in hundreds of parishes, uh, I noticed that when the priest showed up for Mass, like 30 seconds before they go out, he'd throw his vestments on, and he just ran out there. I know I can count more than 20 times that I found out the priest left the priesthood. And I noticed it because the way he said Mass was so nonchalant, and it was just like, you know what, I do this, I'm performing. You know, hey, how are you? Good morning, Frank. How are you? Did you see those 49ers play that football game last night? Uh, Father, I'm sorry. Can we talk about that in the hall? I had no problem talking about the football game, but this is a sacred act you're going to do. And so I just noticed that anecdotally for me that uh, this takes place. And then I also noticed what you just said reminded me that 90% of Catholic school children in the last 50 years that went to Catholic school are not practicing their faith. That's, that's a big problem. Now, I want to attribute that to some things, catechesis, but i got to tell you, the guys that I grew up with that went to Catholic school, here I'm going to daily mass, I'm playing baseball with them, and they told me, oh yeah, we used to trick the priest because we, you know, we drink all the wine on the side after mass, we would go back there and juggle down wine, he never noticed, and, and you know, we could tell he was a phony. What do you mean you could tell he was a phony? He didn't believe in this, so why should we? I, I mean, I'm getting this all my life going, what happened to the example I had when I was a young man and I saw a priest who actually had Eucharistic piety? And that's what I want to talk about on the next segment. Your, your third paragraph of your letter, you talk about this phrase, Eucharistic piety, and why we should have that. And I'm going to say that I think we should have it because look what happens to us lay people when we see a priest actually say a reverent mass and he comes early and he prays and he makes a thanksgiving. And, you know, I remember Father Peter Irving, relative of ours, he's, he was at Mass when he was newly ordained and people were talking in the, in the church and he was just newly there. To, and he said, 
He went up and says, silence. I said, you guys want to talk? Go into the hall where you should be preparing for Holy Mass. And I mean, he scolded the community. And some people didn't like it. But you know what I found out? Most of them did. And you know what? His, his churches were packed because he, he raised the bar of Eucharistic piety. And it seems to me that that's what you're asking to be done. So when we come back from the break, let's talk about that and much more. Also, folks, if you want to go back, I know we've got a bunch of new YouTube listeners now uh, from in the last month, thousands of new ones. And you can go back to our, our life's, excuse me, the website, vmpr.org, download our free app, and you can watch all these shows on YouTube or any other media. And that way you can share it with your friends and family, especially the Bishop Martin Tabuka from Africa. You've got to see that one. Put a full sheen ahead on the website or in our YouTube channel. Stay with us, family. We'll be right back with more on Eucharistic Piety with Bishop Joseph Strickland. And now back to the Bishop Strickland Hour. Welcome back. Indeed, Bishop Strickland's letter to priests. Wow, it's all about the Eucharist. You know, Second Vatican Council taught that the Eucharist is the source and summit of the Christian life. I mentioned at the end of the segment about Eucharistic piety. And Bishop Strickland, I've been to several of your masses, okay? And, you know, this is just a fact. You can see the spirituality of a priest by the way he celebrates mass. If he takes his time and he's deliberate and he's reverent, it really communicates a reverence for the lay people to do likewise. What It just seems like the way the priest leads the parish, that's where the parish goes. I mean, there was a, a Monsignor George Kelly, who I knew from New York from uh, years ago. He passed away, but he, and he wrote a book in the late 70s, The Battle for the American Church. He said, where's the church going? Where its leaders take them. Well, a priest is a leader at his local parish. And so Eucharistic piety, I mean, it just seems like maybe what we can do, and I'm going to hear about it, is just have the priest realize that his presence on the altar communicates reverence or irreverence. There's no in-between. But I want to hear about your thoughts on Eucharistic piety. Well, thanks, Terry. Um, I really do think it's uh, the heart of the reform of the church in the 21st century. And really, if if suddenly we could just flip a switch yeah. and every single priest was deeply uh, Eucharistic, yeah. had a, a, a truly um, embraced a Eucharistic piety that was profound, it would have a profound effect oh, yeah. on the church and on the world. Um, and what I mean by Eucharistic piety is to approach the, as you said, getting ready for Mass, everything that you're doing during the Mass, and even after the Mass, should be sacred time. Yeah. Um, we both see young people hungry yes. for the sacred, Yes. hungry for something that is clearly supernatural and different from any of the entertainment or any of the offerings that our society has for them. There are many different things that young people or 
whatever age, but especially young people, they have been saturated with, here's the world on a platter here. You can do anything you want, um, but it leaves them empty when there's nothing sacred, when everything is the same. And I think it, what I see, and I, I think you've seen the same thing, that young people are hungry for something sacred. For Eucharistic piety, specifically for the priest, to me is about recognizing how valuable those moments are. For a daily mass, 30 to 40 minutes is what it should take. Oh, yeah, not 15. I mean, people have talked about, oh, it's too long. I think it's not long enough. And not for the sake of length, but right. for the sake of that, what I mean by Eucharistic piety is constantly focusing on Jesus Christ. Amen. As we prepare for him to come to the altar, as he is there present on the altar, and then after, if we have or properly disposed, we've gone to confession, we're not aware of any serious sin on our souls, then we should receive his body and blood, soul and divinity and communion. And so that, that whole experience should be an experience of the sacred. And to me, Eucharistic piety means we know who's there. Yeah, We know we, who we're preparing for. In the liturgy of the word, we're hearing the word proclaimed, and we're preparing for the word incarnate under the form of bread and wine to be truly present there. That's what Eucharistic piety is about, is preparing for the Lord, just like John the Baptist. He prepares the way of the Lord, and that's what we all need to do um, in, for Eucharistic piety. And it has to be led by the priest. Mm. You mentioned a word that hopefully as we move forward and hopefully more and more priests and bishops recognize the devastated condition of the church, we have to change it. We have to get back on track. Right. And in order to do this, we've got to be strongly Eucharistic and focused and the word that you mentioned earlier that I would encourage is totally outside the vocabulary of a priest. If it comes to mind for any person there, yeah. the word that you used is nonchalant. Yeah. I don't I don't know the the etymology of that word. <laughs> I, I'm gonna look it up because that is antithetical to what a priest should be doing at Mass. I just recently went, uh, I won't mention where, because I don't want to oh. throw the priest under the bus, but hopefully, and and I, if there's any vestige of nonchalance in my approach to celebrating the Eucharist, right. I need to change. Sure. I need to improve. I need to get more focused. And if we remember, again, who we're preparing for, then you're not going to be nonchalant. And it doesn't mean you have to be nervous or rigid, or but you need to be preparing your heart and your mind to welcome the Lord. If the priest is doing that, then the teenager who's bored and doesn't really want to be there, 
or the older person who is just sort of can't hear too well and they're tuned out. What, whatever the spectrum of individuals out there in the congregation, if the priest is telegraphing that he is preparing to welcome the Lord of the universe on that altar and that that Lord is present after the con consecration on that altar, and we have just received him into our bodies, then if the priest is modeling that, it's going to make a difference for those people and for that parish and for the, the community that that parish is in and for the world that that community is a part of. It truly is something that I am on fire with encouraging and to me, where it came from, this focus on Marian and Eucharistic priest, it came from the devastation that I felt after reading the, the level of corruption yeah. in the church, in the Vatican, with too many bishops and priests. What I want to emphasize, there are many good and holy priests, but none of us can say we're holy enough. Right. We've got to continue to grow in holiness. I, in one of the earlier letters, I urged, because I'm sure that, that there are priests out there that think I'm full of hot air. They wish I would just get, quit speaking. They wish I would go away. Um, that's fine. It's not about me. But all of us need to grow closer to the Lord and to recognize the, the awesome supernatural responsibility that we have that and to just focus on that, that all of that is what Eucharistic piety is about for me. And it is tied to Marian yeah. piety. Mary will help us. She's there. She was there at the foot of the cross. She's there at all the key moments of the life of Christ in this world. And she's there with him as queen of heaven. And she appears to us constantly saying, please, children, wake up to what you've been given in this age of Christ that we're living in for almost 2000. Well, more than 2000 years, he's been incarnate in the world in 2033. We'll celebrate 2000 years wow. since he died and rose for us. We need to awaken to that reality and and priest, I guess what was clear to me, it's that priests are the key. It's not some program. It's not some great, you know, the greatest thing, whatever being produced. It's not some effort by the Conference of Bishops or even by the Vatican. It's priest by priest, Amen. parish Amen. by parish, mass by mass, focusing on Christ. Because ultimately, all of that ties into it's Christ getting it done. It's his power. It's not mine. It's not yours. It's not the holiest persons in the pew. It's Christ working through us. That's what Eucharistic piety reminds us. It's his power that we need. It's not another program. It's not more money. It's not more influence in society. It's not anything we can do. It's more of Christ, his grace and love and life. And the priest has the opportunity to be the conduit
for that presence because we celebrate him at the altar. And if we approach the very beginning of the Mass when we make the sign of the cross until we say, go forth, the Mass is ended. If we approach that as sacred time and we're not being nonchalant and making side comments or giggling at some silly thing the, the server did or a fellow priest, whoever. I mean, yeah, you can laugh. You can, I mean, we're human. Sure. But always returning to that focus of what we're there for. People are hungry for it. And we I know we've both seen. Yes. The priests that are feeding that hunger yeah. are the ones that are developing parishes and congregations that are significant. That's right. Because the priest is feeding the people the presence of Christ. Wow. Wow. That's all I can say. Amen. Amen. When we come back from the break, let's talk about self-sacrifice. And I'd like to lead off with a story from Fulton Sheen about a, we call it a victim soul, where this woman was in an iron lung. And I know you've heard the Bishop Sheen retreats, but for the benefit of those, you won't want to miss the story of how this woman offered her suffering for future priests. And there was a visit at her hospital bed. You want to see what took place there. Stay with us. You're listening to the Bishop Strickland Hour with Terry Barber on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. I love it. More for Jesus. All for Jesus. Stay with us, family. We'll be back in a moment after a quick break. Welcome back and indeed. Now back to the Bishop Strickland Hour. Thank you so much. Bishop Strickland, I wanted to set the stage for this next paragraph. You talk about self-sacrifice to become truly Eucharistic priests. And the Bishop Strick, Bishop Fulton Sheen priest retreats, I've heard, and he gave a story of eight seminarians from New York. This was back in the 60s. And they went to visit a woman who was known in the diocese as a victim soul. She was in an iron lung, and so she couldn't move. And she was a prayer warrior. She offered up all of her sufferings for the seminarians at the seminary. And so it was right that they would come visit her and obviously say thank you. Well, the priest, unfortunately, this was the late 60s, and there was a change in some formation. And the priest didn't understand their victimhood as priests. They thought this was going to be like everybody's going to look up at us, and we're going to have all these great you know, times and visiting people, doing whatever, you know, look, we're big shots. And uh, when these seminarians, uh, when, when she responded to them saying that, I hope you understand your victimhood as priests when you're ordained, and they responded to the woman in the iron lung saying, oh, no, 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 we're going to have a lot of fun. There's no suffering in being a priest. And she, her response was, you're bringing great suffering upon me right now. Because, young man, I will offer more of my suffering for all of you that you will truly understand your priesthood as priest and victim. And I will never forget that story because I think there really is a message that many times, now you were ordained in the 80s, and I'm not going to say that you had great formation. I don't think you did, but you can correct me. But the victimhood of the priesthood uh, is real, and I'm not quite sure priests understand that uh, sacrifice is the language of love 
when it comes to serving God's people. So let's talk about that paragraph when you said, ultimately, we must be men of self-sacrifice to become truly Eucharistic priests. Yeah, well, I think that that is woven into the very message of what it means to be Eucharistic priests, because Jesus Christ suffered Amen. and died. Yeah. Um, and it, as it's emphasized, and that suffering has a great uh, a power that is really beyond imagining, because this is God's divine son who chose to become a part of his own creation, to become a real man, fully God, fully man, the great mystery of Christ's suffering. But he truly suffered. The night before he died, as we say at Mass, he took bread and wine and said, this is my body, this is my blood. The disciples, John was there at the foot of the cross, the rest of them, we don't know. They were probably not that far away. They probably knew of what was happening, but they were afraid, as most of us would have been. John had the strength and stood there with the Blessed Virgin Mary um, and saw firsthand that the suffering that Christ endured. Mm -hmm. And certainly the stations of the cross, the sorrowful mysteries that we happen to be recording this on the first first Friday exactly. of the year 2024, a significant day, a double first Friday. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's important to reflect on the suffering of the Lord. Um, we adore you, O Christ, and we praise you because by your holy cross, you have redeemed the world. Amen. Those aren't just words. That's not just something to remember when you're making the stations of the cross. That speaks of the very fabric, the very fiber of what the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is all about. Um, and for the priest, it, it ties in so significantly. And, and as you alluded to, Terry, the emphasis wasn't there on the sacrifice of the Mass I see. when I was ordained. Okay. It was more emphasizing meal and sacrifice. And the Mass is spoken of, of as a heavenly banquet. Yes. But it's a banquet that is built on a sacrifice. And as Scott Hahn says so well in, in a recent talk, I know it's in his books as well, but if without the sacrificial element, without that giving over of self in love, that is Jesus Christ, he is love incarnate, and he gives himself as a man and as God, he dies on that cross willingly, according to the will of the Father, and all of that we know. But uh, Scott Hahn reminds us that without that sacrificial element, the free choice of the Son of God to suffer and die for us, it's just another execution. Yeah. There's no power in executing somebody. But when he freely suffers his death for us, that's the power of the universe wow. unleashed for us as he rises from the dead. So that's why for a priest to celebrate mass yes. and to be nonchalant about it and to be disengaged from the depth of what he's doing, it's a travesty yeah. and it's harmful. Um, 
it's not just, well, that's, that priest isn't so holy. We've got to pray for our priest to become holier and to become more connected to that sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Every, every human being suffers in one way or another. And, and the same thing is said, and I've heard great talks to uh, ho- holy men sure. in the congregation and holy women. Yeah. You and your wife in your marriage yeah. are called to join your suffering That's right. to the suffering of Christ on the altar. The priest isn't leading in that. If he's not deeply aware of that suffering soul that that every priest needs to bring to the altar, then we're losing the very essence, the very heart and the power of what the Mass is about. The power of Calvary is there on the altar. And that power is always, it, it never stops at Christ's death. It always has on the horizon that he will rise from the dead. But that's the great, the two hinges of power there, death and resurrection. In in my time in seminary and as uh, a newly ordained priest, and there are many with that, still the attitude is that we disengage the resurrection from the death. And it it, it it loses its power. Sure. It has to be both working together. And that's what a, a Eucharistic priest is doing in encouraging people to embrace their own suffering. <clears throat> uh, a suffering soul, uh, like the woman you mentioned yeah. in that yeah. iron lung. Yeah. And, and that's, I mean, there's so many elements of this, Terry, that are so significant and so important yeah. as we talk about the sanctity of life. Amen. The, the children that are aborted are an atrocity and a, a devastation for all humanity. But also at the other end of the spectrum, if that woman in our modern times, if people said, well, the quality of her life isn't so good, we need to help euthanize her or encourage her to assisted suicide or something, we're losing that value of the suffering soul mm-hmm. and offering up that suffering for all of us, even for the priests that you mentioned. Yes. We are short-circuiting God's plan for us when we say, oh, I don't want the suffering, yeah. and I want to medicate myself or take, out, take myself out of this life if the suffering becomes too great. Instead, what we're called to is join our suffering to that of Christ. He didn't give up his life. He freely offered it, but he breathed his last, staying, clinging to life as long as he could. Um, And that is a model for all of us. That's the way we are called, as St. Paul says, when we're baptized, we're baptized into his death. How did Christ die? He didn't just say, okay, kill me. He said, I will not deny the truth before Pilate. He stood and said, he is the truth. And Pilate didn't listen. So, you know, to me, just as we're talking about this, so many aspects of our Christian faith, yeah. the whole spectrum of life, the whole suffering of people, the, the tragedies of wars unfolding. 
What do we do with all this? We bring it to the Eucharistic altar of Christ because he is the divine suffering soul that is beyond imagining in power. Bishop Strickland, this has been a very good instruction on the priesthood and on the Eucharist. And boy, does the church need it. So I'm hoping our listeners will pass this on to their friends. We just have a minute left on the segment, but I wanted to close the next segment with something that is kind of practical. You talked about pro-life. We can't go and do a show without speaking for the unborn and the longborn. And I wanted to discuss the best New Year's resolutions for holiness in the new year, because that's what you just talked about. It's holiness, the universal call to holiness. That's the clarion call of the Second Vatican Council that maybe hasn't been communicated well enough. So let's, yeah, let's talk about that and much more. And again, those who are brand new to the network at vmpr.org, you can download our free app on your smartphone. You can listen to us on YouTube, all the other different mechanisms out there to, uh, to listen to. Send it to your friends. Um, I'm hoping that this new year with Bishop Strickland, with his new YouTube channel that he has, uh, he's going to be communicating short uh, messages on the faith. And it's just educational messages about the deposit of faith. Nothing more. It's not his personal opinion. Because to be quite frank, I don't care about Terry Barber's personal opinion, not even Bishop Strickland's personal opinion. I want to know what Holy Mother has always taught about the faith. And that's what you're going to get in the new year here at vmpr.org, virginmostpowerfulradio.org. And so when we come back from the break, we'll talk about some things regarding New Year's resolutions. And I'll just give you a tease on one of them. Oh, this is the end of the show. I'm sorry. I just went back too fast. Sorry about that. Bishop Strickland, if this is the end, how about a, uh, a, a blessing? I got confused on the segments. Let's get a blessing. Almighty God, as we begin this new year, we pray that all of us will open our hearts more and more, acknowledging our suffering and acknowledging the joy that you offer to us when we know your truth and live your life more fully. We ask your blessing with the witness of the saints and the intercession of the Immaculate Virgin Mary. And we ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Bishop Strickland. You see how God uses the weak to confound the strong. That's me. But remember, Our Lady of Fatima said, souls are going to hell because no one is there to pray and make sacrifices. Wow, we, we don't have to be a priest to make a sacrifice. Offer every action to our Lord so that souls will be saved, especially for Holy Mother of the Church right now. Make a holy hour this week for Holy Mother of the Church and the Holy Father. Thanks again for joining us. May God richly bless you and your family. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year.